If you have your Bibles, uh, would you open up to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, if you're brand new with us, my name is Dave, I'm the pastor, and I'm just celebrating, just seeing uh, you show up, and I'd love to get to know you, uh, meet your family, um, get to know your kids, I'd love just to connect after the service, and if you haven't checked in with us, you can use the QR code on the back of the seat, you can check in with us, um, stop by the Connect Center, we'd love to... Uh, give you a gift, just say thanks for being with us and for being our guests. Um, and we want to remind you, I know we just had on a video announcements, this Friday at 7 o'clock. Everybody say 7 o'clock. We are having our Good Friday service. And, and this is going to be, honestly, the most different Good Friday service I've ever done in 26 years of ministry. Um, I've never done a Tenebrae service where we kind of dark, keep darkening throughout the entirety of the service and leaving in silence and feeling the weight of the power of the cross. Um, I'm very excited about it. Our, our Hispanic community is going to join us. And uh, I think it's going to be just a powerful, powerful uh, Friday, and don't forget, Sunday is Easter. If you are a regular attender, here is my massive, here I'm requesting an Easter gift from you. Would you show up 15 minutes prior to how you normally show up? Wait, let's just give you a time. Could you show up at 9, because some of you are like, I just walked in the door. Could you show up at 9.45, 9.40-ish, and would you come in? That way you can come find your seats. We're going to have a donut holes for everybody. We've got a place for you to do family pictures. Um, but to help kind of alleviate the flow of everybody coming in with guests and such, we're going to open up the side sections. Some of you, Revival is going to hit your world because your, your seats came back. Um, so I'm excited about Easter Sunday morning. It's just, it's, it's the best Sunday to preach, I'm telling you. And I am, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I've been preparing this week for Easter Sunday. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? Hope you bring your Bibles. If, if none of y'all have a Bible, we, would, we have a free Bible for you. Stop by the Connection Center. Uh, we'll bless you with the Bible. No charge or anything whatsoever. Um, we just want to make sure that you're blessed with one. Or maybe you're using your YouVersion Bible on your phones. Go for it. Whatever works for you, it works for me. John th uh, 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Boy, there's a word for somebody this morning that doesn't feel like the Lord loves you. Having loved his own, you are his own and he loves you. And will love you to the end. Some of us in this room make it hard for people to love us. Do you know anybody in your family that they make it hard for you to love them? Anybody have neighbors, they make it hard for you to love them? Jesus even loves them to the end. I got too many people nudging each other. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had to come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is such an amazing portion of Scripture. Jesus having dinner a final dinner, a final meal, breaking bread with his disciples, his closest companions, one last time before he would give his life. We're doing a series called The Last Week of Christ, and today we hit Thursday of that last week, which means we talk about the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, a time of Jesus having one more conversation 
with these beautiful friends of his. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just beseech your presence and asking that you would just sanctify our mind and our hearts to receive from you today. It is my prayer every Sunday, Lord, that you would do such a work in this place that not a single one of us would walk away from this place the same way that we've walked in. That you would break through sin and brokenness, fracture and hurt. That, Lord, you would help us work through uncertainty and suspicion as well as the certainty of what we thought we knew about you. I pray you would just blow our minds today to see you in a new way. Change us, Lord. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, give someone an awkward high five before you're seated. Last week, there was a gentleman sitting right down here. I tried giving him a high five. It was the most awkward four attempts, and I don't see him in church today. And I feel like I have ruined somebody's life. When you guys had family meals, what did you talk around? What were the dinner conversations at your family meals? So you're like, not politics. That wouldn't come up. Or for some reason, oh, it came up. Um, in my house growing up, we didn't have meals around the table. Never did. It's, I could probably count on my hand, in my memory, the amount of meals around our dinner table. Because, I mean, how can you sit around a dinner table and who the, who's the boss is on and you've got TV trays? Some of you are judging me right now. Come on. Who's the boss? Tony Danza, whose name in the show was Tony. Lots of creativity going on here. But that's just what we did. We, we made dinner and we sat at TV trays and we watched shows. I mean, that's, we kind of had family connection and um, we'd never sat around the table. But the last time I can remember sitting around the dinner table, the last time I had just started fifth grade. And so we got around the dinner table, and it was odd. I'm like, we're eating at the table, okay. And so we, we sit around, we're eating, and there's, I don't know, this awkward silence. And my dad goes, so David, what did you learn in school today? I'm like, we had a weird class that we've never done before. He goes, what class was it? I said, well, they, the title of it was sex ed. That's the last time we ate around the dinner table. No joke. I don't ever remember another dinner table conversation or dinner table meal. After that, we went back to who's the boss, and that's just what we did. And I will admit, just after that, mom and dad went into a pastoral ministry. Schedules changed. Life changed. And I can't say that I was broken because I didn't have meals around the table, but when I started dating Anne and we had any meals at her house, that's just what they were used to. They would have the meal, a certain, they would have it around the table, everyone would talk and have conversation. And you could just you can tell a lot about meals and what meals bring because meals are intimacy. And this meal that we're looking at here in the Gospel of John, we're actually going to look at the entirety of the conversation that happened at this dinner, this beautiful moment between Jesus and his disciples. And this is an amazing meal because we know this as the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. They're celebrating Passover. But meals are such a place of, of intimacy. In fact, this Thursday of this week, what would have happened, they would have had the meal from here. They would have gone on to Gethsemane to pray. Uh, let's, let's correct that. Where Jesus would have prayed and his disciples would have slept. 
and then Jesus would have been betrayed by Judas, and then Jesus would have gone through a series of trials and just a kangaroo court and just a mess that was the system of them trying to manipulate the law to get rid of Jesus. And it's here that we ought to look at these words. These are the last words of Jesus in terms of him breaking bread and talking with those closest to him. And if they would have really truly listened to him, they would have maybe listened in a little bit more to capture what his closing words would be to them in this intimate place. Yes, there were words that he spoke from the cross, but these were these moments of him and his disciples, this close-knit group. They would have listened in more had they known that these were the words of a dying man. Shakespeare says this, Oh, but they say, the tongues of dying men enforce attention like deep harmony. Where words are scarce, they are seldom spent in vain, for they breathe truth that breathe their words in pain. When someone's passing away, I'm telling you, I've been at bedsides, and when people talk to me in their last few moments in life, I don't, I don't look around, I'm not staring at my phone, I'm soaking it in, because I love what Shakespeare says, that they force our attention, they become like a deep harmony, because they're not just spent in vain, they are breathing truth, they are speaking out what is deepest upon their hearts. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. We've got this amazing conversation. And of the four Gospels, the Gospel of John records the entirety of the conversation. I mean, wrap your brains around this. The Gospel of John is 21 chapters long. Half, almost half, of the entirety of John's account he spends talking about this week. The week of Christ's death and resurrection. And then he spends five of those chapters. So almost a quarter of the entire book of John is this dinner conversation. He's going to talk about this conversation. Because dinner somehow opens us up. I mean, isn't that what we do when we dated our spouse? Is, well, you know, I've, I've met one person, one couple from this church that had an arranged marriage. Other than that, most of us at least had a meal with a spouse. Or at that time was our boyfriend or girlfriend, somebody we were trying to get to know. And we started asking questions. Why? Because we wanted to know if we were wasting our time. I remember I was dating this one girl for, for a few months, and we went out. We, we, I, I, I really went big. I went to Olive Garden. Took her to Olive Garden. I know, real Italian. <laughs> and it's at the end of the summer, I was taken back off for college. I was going back to college, and she just looked at me, and she just, I mean, just had this serious look. She goes, I need to know right now, how do you really feel about me? Where is this thing going? So I broke up with her. Thankfully, six months later, she took me back, and three years later, she married me. <laughs> and by the way, the day I broke up with her, she had just been baptized a few hours earlier. Totally serious. If you ask her to tell a story, the water will be dripping way more than it really did from her hair. And by the way, she turns 25 tomorrow. <laughs> Happy birthday, baby. I almost said 45. That would have been bad. <laughs> John is the only gospel to carry this conversation. The only gospel to kind of bring in the details 
of this dinner conversation where Jesus gets serious with his closest companions, the one who would help birth the church. And I think it would behoove us, behoove us, am I the King James? What is this? It would behoove us to dive in and to look at this dinner conversation and begin to break this thing apart because I think it should challenge our hearts. These are the words of a man going to his death and he is not wasting his words. And I think this morning we should pull up to the table and dive in and feast upon his words. And in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, we read that he, they, they, they broke bread, they shared wine, and they had conversation, and in the middle of this conversation, he pulls out a towel. Pastor Dave, is that why you carry a towel when you preach? Actually, no. Quite frankly, T.D. Jakes preaches with a hanky, and he wipes his sweat, and that's literally how I started using these things. Nothing. I'm trying to be like T.D., not Jesus, for some weird reason. Anyways, he took a towel, he wrapped one towel around his waist, and began to wash the feet of his disciples. And let's admit, those are always awkward moments. Some of you have asked me, have you ever done a, a foot washing ceremony on stage? And the answer is in 26 years, no. Why? Because it's awkward. I don't enjoy it. People have put, wanted to wash my feet. I had one guy, he's like, hey, I want to meet with you. And he wanted to wash my feet. And I'm like, please don't do it. Can we just shake hands? <laughs> and he brought some other guys for accountability. Like, we were accountability. I'm like, what were you thinking? And so, uh, yeah, they washed my feet. It was a, a moment. And uh, I, I don't like that. And so here, the Savior and the Lord is washing the feet of these 12. And wrap your brains around this. He washes the feet of 12 people, one of which who would betray him and 11 of which who would abandon him. And he begins to speak to them in verse 12. He says, when he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also want to wash others, another's feet. For I've given you this example that you also should do as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger uh, greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now notice the, the end cap there. Blessed are you if you do them. Some of us believe, but do we do? So today I'm going to give you some table topics, some dinner topics that Jesus brings up. And what I'm going to do is actually give you table questions that maybe later with your family when you're having dinner. Maybe tonight before the kids go to bed. Maybe as a couple you're going to get together and just talk about, hey, in our family, let's talk about these dinner questions and let, this, let the word of God challenge us. So the first topic that Jesus brings up is the topic of servanthood. In fact, I would say it this way. Your calling in life is to serve others. Your call, thank you, Kathy. Your calling, your calling in life, the quietest person in the room is amening me over here. Listen, we are a charismatic church. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to shout. It's not okay to throw shoes. Other than that, we can get into the message here. But the, Jesus is challenging them that says, listen, your highest calling is to serve others. But quite often in the American church, we are so bent after seeking blessing that we actually neglect the thing for which Jesus has called us to. And the irony of it all is this, is that on the other side of serving is the blessing. 
Pastor, I'm just praying for God's blessing. You know what I want to do? Is I want to say, stop praying for it and serve others. And if you serve others, you're going to find the blessing of God. It's on the other side of you wrapping the towel around your waist and deciding to serve somebody else. Of the hundreds of teenagers I've taken overseas and around this nation to different trips and to different places to serve, I promise you 100% of them had this intention. We're going to go and we're going to bless people. And they walk away in tears saying, Pastor Dave, why is it that I poured my life out and I feel more blessed? I feel guilty. I'm like, don't feel guilty. That's what it's like. When you serve Jesus and you begin to serve others through the Spirit of God, you're going to find the blessing that you have been looking for. Why? Because you've developed a humble heart. And humble hearts are able to catch the blessing. It's prideful hearts that are scraping for the prosperity gospel lingering out there. If I can just get, if I can just get. How about this? How about we just give? How about we would just give? And if we will give, perhaps God will actually give it back to us. Stop chasing blessing and serve. Oh, well, how do we serve? Here's a simple way. Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. Well, that's a little bit too simple. Then you've missed the gospel. Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. So here's your table question to ask today around your table. What could I do this week to intentionally serve somebody else? Who could you serve that week? Ask the Spirit of God. I promise he's going to point out the most annoying person in your workplace. He's going to point out the most unlikely person, and you're just going to say, I have not heard from the Spirit of God this week, and you're going to walk away. What could you do to intentionally serve somebody this week? There's our table topic and our table question. He's called us to serve, but how can we intentionally serve? And that takes us to John chapter 14. We have five chapters that encapsulate an entire conversation. John 14. We've now, the atmosphere is somber. Why? Because Jesus have, has blown up the plans of the disciples. I mean, from the get-go, in their minds, in the, in the minds of Israel, the Jewish Messiah is going to show up and is going to lead to the, the revolt, like the Maccabees, lead the revolt against the government, lead a revolt against Rome. He's going to free us from the oppressors. He's going to shake everything up. He's going to take his place at David's throne. They had a governmental siege in their brain. And what they didn't realize is the Messiah had bigger plans than what they had plans. And so Jesus begins to notice their discouragement. And we get John chapter 14, verse 11. I've read this so often at funerals. Let not your hearts be troubled, verse 1. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If they were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. How many of you grew up, in my Father's house are many mansions? Anybody ever grow up reading that? And then, and then you start talking about, man, think of how big my mansion's going to be. Think of how big my crown is going to be. Isn't it redonkulous what we did to the gospel? As if in heaven we need a massive mansion. Verse 3. And I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and take you to be with myself. That where I am, you may be also. They are fretting about what's going to happen with the kingdom here. What's going to happen with Israel. What's going to happen with us. They are fretting about earthly problems. And when they came to Jesus with earthly problems, Jesus brings them an eternal solution. They're like, well... Well, Rabbi, I don't like how this is playing out on earth. I don't like how this is playing out. I think that some of us have the wrong expectations of earth. And our expectations of earth are all wrong. Because we think God is obligated to work everything out here. Boy, I got really quiet in the room. 
We, are, we think God is obligated to work every single thing out here. And we will quote scripture says, well, God said that he who began a good work will bring it through to completion. I'm here to say this, that sometimes God will begin a good work, but he may not bring it through into completion in your lifetime. When God began a good work in 1933, downtown in a tent, I'm so glad he didn't finish the work because that church became this church 90 years later. I'm here to say that God's not done yet, but he who began a good work, he will bring it through, hopefully not in my lifetime because I want God to do more. But we get so focused on what has happened in the earthly. We can get so caught up in that that we miss out. And so Jesus brings them their table topic, and it's this. When earth is hard, focus on eternity. When earth is hard, lift up your eyes and focus on what's more. This past December, my best friend's mom passed away of cancer. Karen is an icon in my life and in my wife's life. We... We can't say enough for Karen's influence in us. We've known Karen most of our lives, especially all of our ministry. And her pastor got up and he read a scripture that I have never seen in a certain light before. The scripture is out of Psalm chapter 27. It says, surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And whenever I have prayed that, I've prayed that over some, y'all. I've spoken that over you because in my brain... It's talking about, I will see God's goodness while I'm here on this earth. And granted, if you've tasted salvation, you've already seen the goodness of God. Let's never downplay salvation. But he got up and said, listen, we live in the land of death. I'm like, there's a way to start a funeral. He said, we look for so much and we expect so much here on this earth. But we've got a promise from God that says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He says, we have to remember, this is not the land of the living. But there is a place where there's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more sickness. There's no more cancer. There's nothing that can touch us. And that is the land of the living as we as believers, when we've accepted Christ, we have got a promise that we will see the goodness of God. Because there is a land of the living waiting for us someday. And so I wrote it, and I'm stealing that for some of y'all's funerals. Understand this, that everything we face in life has a timer. Even life itself has a timer. Everything has a timer on it. Does that mean I don't pray for circumstances? No, I will pray for circumstances. I believe that now some of you will experience freedom, deliverance from your addictions, deliverance from their pain, deliverance from the hurt that's gone in your life. I will continually pray for healing in people's lives, provision in people's lives. I'm called to pray for things in the present, but my joy is not attached to the present. My joy is attached to Jesus, and Jesus always calls me further. And I always know that in Jesus, no matter how dark the days are, there will always be hope. Always be hope. So when the earth is hard, focus on eternity. Know this, as a Christ follower, living on this earth will be as close to hell as you will ever experience. Let me give another perspective. If you don't know Christ, living on earth will be the closest thing to heaven you might experience. And that should call us all to repentance, to humble our own hearts. This is what we used to sing about. When earth is hard, focus on eternity. Y'all remember singing... I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. And you guys never clapped in your church. I'm, here, I'm sitting doing this myself here. I mean, you grew up with, uh, maybe you grew up in a, in a quiet church. 
I'll fly away, oh. How boring is that? We're, we were clapping. I'll fly away, oh, glory. And then Sister Sarah's on the side doing this. And we, I, I even know who Sister Sarah is. We were stoked because when we celebrated, we didn't celebrate what we experienced. We knew what was coming. We had hope. It encouraged our hearts that there was a promise of more of God and no more of some of the stuff we were dealing with. So when we encouraged each other, we would sing about heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Sorry, online people are hearing the full weight of my voice right now. We were singing. We were clapping. I remember my dad put me on drums. I was the fifth string drummer in our church, which was bad. And I got one point where I didn't use any other drum, just a snare. I'm just beating it quick, trying to keep up with my dad leading worship. Why were we singing songs like that? Because we knew that our joy was never about what's happening here. Our joy was what's happening in side here that was leading us toward some glad morning. When everything was done, that we would see Jesus. See, the most joyful people in this world do not put all of their eggs in the basket of everything here will just work itself out. Again, I'm not saying don't pray for things. I will pray for things. But Jesus would say, when earth gets hard, focus on eternity. And so here's your table question to ask. Who in our lives right now needs to get encouragement today? Some of y'all even right now need to text somebody and give them some encouragement. Some of y'all need to contact somebody and do more than just pray over them when the Spirit of God lays them on your heart. But you need to contact them and say, God laid you on my heart. Can I pray for you right now? And meet them where they're at. Some of you need to write a note to somebody. Some of y'all need to visit somebody. And give them encouragement because of where they're hurting. And that takes us to the next part of the conversation. John chapter 15. Verse 4 through 5. Jesus says to them, Abide in me and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it, he, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus gives this phenomenal illustration like I am the vine, you all, it's plural, the word you is plural in the Greek, you all are the branches because Jesus understands that we have this proclivity as human beings to be divisive and to be, to be in disunity. Why? Because we like being independent. We don't like to have to need people. And many times we live like we don't need Jesus. And we like to be independent. And I'm here to say, you're not alive to survive. You are alive to bear fruit and to make a difference. And the only way for us to bear fruit is to stay connected to the vine, which is Jesus. Verse 8 says this. By this my Father is glorified that you, all you together, bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What is Jesus saying? It's our third table topic. We could do more together than we can apart. We could do more together than apart. Jesus says, all y'all. I, I, I went to Missouri for Bible college, so that stuck with me. All of you people. It's like, Listen. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. And when you do that, when you live in that calling, you together bear fruit. Remain in me. Do what I've called. And so here's the table question is what is your part in the kingdom? When you find it, do it. Well, Pastor Dave, I don't know what to do. I've got suggestions for you. 
Guess what we love to have at, the, at every single door in this place? We like to have what we call first impressions. And it's my heart that we, ha we have every single door in the church manned with individuals, people from teenagers all the way up to senior adults and everybody in between, that we would have a smiling face and a welcoming hand. And I think that everybody at K-First, if this is your home and you're not serving anywhere else, you should volunteer once a month or once every two months to serve and to be a smiling face so that people can see the face of Jesus before they hear Jesus being preached about. I think somebody else should serve in nursery. Some of you should serve in kids because you've got a burden. You've got an expertise. You need to serve because our kids deserve to see an adequate witness of Jesus in adults as well as the adequate witness of the word spoken over them. We need people working tech. We need people um, playing piano. Playing piano. I say that because I was at someone's house who admitted they played piano. And so now I'm sticking Emily on him. We need musicians. We need people serving. We can't do this alone. The job... What grows a church is not a gifted pastor. What grows a church is a gifted church. It's not about these giftings. You see me dancing saying, I ain't got any giftings. It's us together in our giftings that when we serve together, we see that Jesus is lifted up. So the table question is, what is your part? And then all of a sudden the conversation shifts again. Chapter 16. Jesus begins to speak of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he started talking about the Holy Spirit back in chapter 14 when he says, um, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, the Helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We get this beautiful glimpse of the Trinity. The Father, the Son speaks about the Father who will send the Spirit and with the Spirit available. And Jesus begins to start talking about the Holy Spirit and really gives this hint that says, listen, the Holy Spirit is connected to the success of your life. And when I talk about success, I'm not talking about making money. I'm not talking about getting the greatest job, even though the Holy Spirit can give you wisdom. But he's talking about having a life that is meaningful and bearing fruit. It says here in John chapter 16, verse 1, I have said these things to you that would keep you from falling away. The word fall away is a Greek word, skandelzo, which literally means scandal. The Spirit of God is to keep you from scandal. Now when we think of scandal, we think of the National Enquirer putting out some weird scandal. But the scandal literally means from falling away from the life that you were meant to live. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Spirit. He's called the Spirit of truth. And he's going to lead you into truth. And he's going to help you to live. How does he help you to live? He convicts our hearts and he helps us from missteps. That's why when we are mad at somebody and we're ready to send a text back to them and we feel something nudging in our heart that says, you shouldn't do that because that's not Christ-like. That's not the witness that they need. That's not your conscience. That's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will do in your life what your conscience can't do. Why? Because our conscience is connected to our flesh. And there are times that people have done things to me that Detroit Dave wants to come out and Pastor Dave does not want to show up. There are sides of me connected to my conscience that don't always want to flow with the Spirit. But Jesus says, I've said these things. I'm going to give you the Spirit to keep you from scandal, to keep you from falling away. The Holy Spirit is there to help you. So when that person hurts you and you want to enact vengeance, you get to step back, listen to the voice of the Spirit, saying, you know what, Lord? Vengeance, that's your game. 
You're my vindicator. I'm going to step back. Well, Pastor Dave, they might keep going with the, doing what they're doing. You know what? They can answer for that to the Lord. You have to answer to the Lord for you. And the Spirit of God is upon your life. And he says to the disciples, he's in you and he's with you to help you live your life so that you're not living according to the flesh. Listen, I, there's a part of me that loves to act out of my flesh. But then I live with regret because the flesh had its way. But when I walk in step with the Spirit, the Spirit is the one that bears fruit. The Spirit is the one that gives the gifts. And the Spirit is the one that gives us the victory. So he convicts us. What's our table topic? Is listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit within you. If you're serving Jesus, you've got the Spirit of God in you. Scripture says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, he's in you. So the Holy Spirit's voice will only be as loud as your willingness to listen to him. The Holy Spirit's voice will be as, just as loud as your willingness to listen. It's time for us to pause and ask the Holy Spirit to speak. So my table question for you is simply this. What has the Holy Spirit been trying to say to you? Now, I worded this in a very specific way because it says, what's the Holy Spirit? Not what is he speaking, what has he been trying to speak to you? Because for some of you, you don't realize how deep this question is because he's been trying to speak to you by the, in, in the way that you've been maybe serving in your workplace. I should, well, just working in your workplace. Maybe the way that you've been talking to your spouse, treating your spouse, maybe the way as a teenager you've been responding to your parents and the Holy Spirit's been prompting your heart, checking your heart, saying, so, some of you are so determined to be, you're more determined to be right in this world than to be whole with people. And the Spirit of God is speaking into your heart. He's trying to speak into your life. I want you to understand, God doesn't have a speaking problem, we have a listening problem. And Jesus would say, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And that brings us to our last part of the conversation. If you have my piano player come on up, that'd be great. John chapter 17. What is so beautiful about this chapter is this chapter is one long prayer. Jesus starts out by saying, when he spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Jesus was a prayer warrior. I've had people ask me, well, if he's the son, he's a, he's a member of the Trinity, why does he, is he talking to himself? This is where Jesus, when he came to earth, when the incarnation took place, he laid aside his rights, becoming like us. Still in prayer. Still in connection and communion with the Father, and he stayed as a man of prayer from the beginning to the end, he was in prayer. In fact, after he finished praying here, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He prayed in mornings. He prayed in the evening. He was constantly in prayer. So what's our last table topic? It's simply this. Pray about everything. Well, I guess all we can do now with Pastor Dave is just pray. When I hear that, everything in me just wants to grab somebody by the shoulders Nowadays, they call it assault. And just say, all we could do today is just pray as if it's our last resort. Prayer is not your parachute. It's your first response. It's us calling out to God. It's inviting God into the moment. It's not like, oh, I guess maybe it's time to talk to Jesus about this. And that's where Jesus is up there saying, finally, you're inviting me into this thing. 
It's about time. Pray about everything. In a world of anxiety and rest, tragedy and brokenness, why don't we pray more? Why aren't we trusting God, inviting God into that moment more? Listen, some of us, you come to me ready to invite you in, try to invite me into a marriage problem. And my response is, why didn't you come earlier? How did it come to this? Why didn't you get help when things started getting bad, started getting things rocky? Why did you wait to get help? And we do that with marriage counselors. We do that with Jesus. And we wait till we're at, at threat level midnight. This is my little Michael Scott note there. We're at threat level midnight and everything is falling apart. And oh yeah, now let's talk to Jesus. But why not when things trip, when things are struggling, when you start feeling a little bit of anxiety, why not in that moment begin to invoke the name of Jesus, begin to speak the word of God over your marriage, over your life, over your finances, over your children, and begin to plead the blood of Jesus. Jesus right there. And we get so wrapped up, wrapping our arms around things and issues. Instead of holding those arms open and getting on our knees and actually offering that to God. And here's my table question. What do you need to give to God in prayer? What do you need to give to God in prayer? What if you took ownership over that you really needed to give Jesus ownership over? Man, most of my anxiety in my life has nothing to do with trusting God. It had everything to do with me just holding on to it because I wanted control. What can we pray about? What can we talk to God about? What concerns your heart? The last conversation the disciples would hear from Jesus before trial would begin. Before a switch would be laid to his bare back. Before the cat of nine tails, that Roman whip would, would tear his flesh apart. Before a nail was driven into his hands and feet. This is a conversation that we would need to take heed to because it should challenge our hearts and begin to shake the foundations of our life. And this last portion that in the middle of all of what was going to take place, Thursday we're about midweek, a little bit further than midweek, in this midweek moment, Jesus just intercedes for his disciples. He intercedes for what God would do through them and in them knowing full well what they would do. But I'm glad that God's response to us is not always dictated by our attitudes or by our actions. He begins to pray over them. So my question to you this morning is what do you need to pray about? What do you need to pray about? What have you been gripping onto that you just won't let go because you have to be in control all the time? What opinions, what things, what Facebook post, what moment at work, what interview, what marriage situation, what child situation. What is it that you're wrestling with that you're holding on to? That, well, if I give it to God, is the God going to make it all better right there? I will remind you of this. When your earthly perspective is shifting and struggling, focus on eternity. Because our job here is to trust in Jesus. Let's do what we can do and let's let God do what only he can do.
and learn how to trust him. So could we do this? Instead of standing, could we in the house, could we maybe close our eyes together? And could you hold out your hands to the Lord? We're going to have a moment of prayer in the house today. And my guess is I don't have to say what is it that you're holding on to that you have to let go of. I, my guess is I don't have to say anything of that sort to you. Because you already know what you need to let go of. For some of you, you need to let go of being right. Some of you, you need to let go of some hurts that have made you want to act in vengeance. For some of you, maybe there is hurt that has happened in your life that has now become your identity and that's just what you know. And if you let go of being hurt, you like, Pastor, I don't even know what I would be anymore because that's what I've centered my life, my religion, everything around is that hurt moment. Here's something I had to deal with a few years back. Some of you have to let go of loss. And it's not that you're letting go of a memory of the person. But something I had to deal with years ago, I had to let go of some of my anger. I miss my brother a ton. I miss my grandpa Price a ton. And this is something that came up in my prayers praying over this service. Some of us were letting go of a broken relationship that happened in the life of broken friendship that you have been reeling over, you've been holding on to, and you feel like you have not got past. And the reason why we hold our hands out, it's in such a way that allows us to release it. We can release it into the hands of the Lord, but it also gives us responsibility because we're holding things in such a way that if God tells us to do something, we can do something with it. And that's what we're listening to the voice of the Spirit of God. And so Jesus, right here, we have arms open to you. Our arms are so wide open to you. And we, Lord, just want to release things into your hands. Releasing agendas into your hands. Releasing things that we've tried to enforce on people because we want them to be what we want them to be rather than releasing them to be who you want them to be. Lord, I release my, I release my family to you that's, that's been wandering away from who you, who you are. God, I release them to you asking that you would do amazing miracles and things that I cannot do in my own hands and my own ability. Lord, I release them to you, my grieving heart. Knowing, God, that I don't have to lose my memories, God, but I just do, I do need healing in my life. I release the grief in order for you to heal my heart. Lord, I release to you the things that I've been addicted to in my life that has just been fueling who I think I am. Lord, I release my plans to you, asking that you would give me brand new purpose, vision, and direction. That's what we do in the house today, Lord Jesus, is we just release to you 
some of those burdens that have been deep on our hearts and asking that you would do more than we've ever asked or imagined according to your power at work within us. And Lord, while we're releasing, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. And for some of us just whispering to say, it's going to be okay. You're here to comfort us. You're here to speak truth into us. You'll speak hope into us. You'll convict us. You'll guide us. You'll equip us.